Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today I'm going to take a little break from playing the Palenque Norte lectures and instead play a recent talk given by our frequent contributor, Shauna Holm. Now this talk was given last month at the Women and Entheogens Conference, which was the brainchild of psychonaut Kai Wingo, who you will remember from our podcast number 458, which was titled Practical Mushroom Activism. Sadly, as you may remember, it was seven months after that podcast was posted that Kai died due to complications during a 40-day fast. It was her 37th day of fasting, and it took such a huge toll on her body that, well, it gave out on her. So, it's important to remember that we not only need to be careful in our use of psychedelic medicines, we also have to know what we are doing in other areas of life in which we take our bodies to extremes that they really aren't designed to handle. Although the conference that Kai founded didn't take place in the year of her death, which was last year, the world-renowned African martial arts master, mycologist, and herbalist, Kalindi, continued the conference in honor of Kai. So, now let's join Shauna Holm as she begins her presentation. I want to thank Kalindi for putting on the Women and Entheogens conference. This takes a lot of work and dedication, and I just thank you so much, and thank you also for continuing Kai's work. And I just want to say that I spoke with Kai shortly before she died. I was supposed to interview her for a wonderful new website called awake.net. And she Skyped me from a busy, crowded cafe. And so we had a conversation, but I just said, you know, this is, this is not going to work, Kai. You have such good wisdom, and there's too much, you know, noise going on in the background. And so let's do this at a better time, you know, when, when the, uh, the environment around you is quiet and we can have a really good interview. And, and, then, and then she passed away, and that is an incalculable loss. She was a very dear, a very dear person. And so my love goes out to uh, her family and all who she loved so for my talk, I am going to speak to, okay, well, I've been observing the, what I think is just the deplorable way in which people are treating each other these days and expressing themselves. And I am not speaking to any one particular group, mind you. I'm speaking to the general public that has been utterly swept up in the social engineering of the day and has fallen for the oldest trick in the book, divide and rule, which is still working like a charm. And so, once again, we are being played. And in lieu of that mess, I want to speak today on the power of divine inspiration which is hard to come by these days. 
divine inspiration has been associated with entering high trance states through the ingestion of a psychoactive sacrament taken with intention and care. And this is an ancient practice. It goes way back through cultures around the world where a psychoactive unguent would be ingested that would take the seeker into highly inspired states where they would speak on behalf of the gods or the local spirits, and they would express that message often poetically. They would speak this poetry that uplifted the mind and awakened the soul. So there is a mystical component that can be found through the use of nature's offerings, my personal favorite being the mushroom. I see it as a portal that can, if we're lucky, take us inward to a place of wisdom and insight where a very different voice is found, one that sees through the veneer of the societal construct and redirects us away from the profane and into the inner sanctum of the sacred found within ourselves, where the deeper layers of nature and her secrets can be accessed, as well as spiritual spirit intelligences, ancestors, and our own higher knowing that can instruct and offer wise counsel. So I'm going to begin with a poetic message that came to me while I was in a bee-mushroomed state last fall when I was in the Olympic National Rainforest, standing by the Ho River, gazing up at the evergreens. And when I enter the portal of the mushroom, I, I speak in poetry. <laughs> and so I always carry a digital recorder with me, and these messages come in in perfect rhyme, no editing necessary, now, I'm not going to be winning any poetry contests here anytime soon, but in its own simple way, this poetry conveys a message that I think hits the mark quite well, and it offers a very different kind of communication that hopefully will touch the heart and not incite further divisiveness. And so I call this a heads-up from the trees. We shower you with hues of green. We create a stirring scene. We stand here and watch you all. And as the season moves to fall, we ready now for winter's sleep, when our roots that plumb earth deep absorb telluric frequencies so we can gather energy and cycle into spring anew resplendent in the morning dew. Elements of living sculpture, we inspire many cultures. We stand tall as the world tree. In us lives the mystery. Come to us, and we will teach you. People hear us, we beseech you. Do not take our folk for granted. Just because we're easily planted doesn't mean we'll quickly grow, and to you our fruit bestow. You are told, respect your elders. This is also true of alders and the oak and evergreens, the great old trees that once were seen and beheld with humbled awe, vast sculptures that were without flaw, then sadly felled with axe 
and saw. You think we'll be here for always, ever treated to displays of fruits and greens for all of you, but we will say that's just not true. The casual attitudes of today take us for granted we are afraid. How easily we are cut down, the tragic sight when we hit ground, displaced are many creatures small who look for shelter in our tall, inviting trunks and branches strong. They know it's here that they belong. The forest is a library. It's home to many you can't see, a delicate menagerie of living beings magically connected to a wondrous web that spans the earth so all are fed. These forests found from north to south, providing food for many mouths, are canopies that must be held with greatest care, not greedily felled. Take time away from all the toys. Spend time with we who are being destroyed by the gloating corporate fools who look to us as simply tools and miss the mark entirely. Their metal monsters storm our trees and scar the land deplorably and proudly plant their franken-seeds. This steep fall in the minds of man must be fixed if it possibly can, for this charade cannot last long as steadily the birds, whose song imparts a sound field for the earth, begins to fade till there's a dearth of birds and insects and much more, till only silence greets your door. And that is when good hearts will break, man's coarse inventions you'll forsake. Barbara Tedlock Ph.D., author of The Woman in the Shaman's Body, wrote, quote, Shamans are seers, oracles, and oral poets, and their artistic language creates a healing path for their patients. Well, that quote really spoke to me. And then, a while back, I read a book by Marty Roth. It's titled Drunk the Night Before, An Anatomy of Intoxication. And in that book... He wrote, quote, People who argue that drugs and drink and the practice of modern art are a parodic reduction are not considering how this practice echoes the origin of poetry in shamanism. End quote. Well, that got my attention because over the past six years that I've apprenticed myself to the mushroom teachers, poetry has been pouring through me during the journeys, like the one I had in the rainforest last fall. And now that poetry comes to me during other altered states of awareness, particularly when I am walking through the forest near my home in a meditative state, and also in the early hours of the morning as I am just waking from sleep. So I'm in that in-between where I'm not quite asleep anymore, but I'm not quite awake either. It's a totally different state of consciousness and you are uh, very open in that state. And so this poetry originates while I'm in inspired states during uh, deep journeys in the mushroom realms or, or these, these other states, or I simply sit and, and call in a poem and, and, and it means I have to shift states of consciousness and, and still myself, quiet myself, 
and, and just allow. Get out of the way and just allow. So in any case, uh, in any case, imagine my surprise when I did a little research on this subject only to find out that indeed psychoactive substances have long been ingested in order to bring the seeker into states of poetic reverie where the muse is found and expressed in ways that uplift and inspire. And poetry has long been a central form of expression in the shamanic arts. Poetry brought forth via high trance states, particularly those induced by psychoactive plants and fungi. Ethnopharmacologist Christian Rach, Ph.D., wrote an article titled The Mead of Inspiration, where he spoke to the use of psychedelic substances by early Germanic people who drank both mead, which is honey wine, and also ale, both of which were spiked with either medicinal herbs or specific substances such as psilocybin and other herbal inebriants that would enhance poetic ability. And mead, in particular, was known as the drink of inspiration. And there is an old Norse poetic text. It's called the Prose Edda. And it speaks to the ingestion of mead, declaring, quote, whoever drinks from which becomes a poet or a scholar, end quote. Now, incidentally, I know a few mead drinkers, and I have yet to see anyone go into an inspired, divine, poetic state after a couple of glasses of mead. Usually, it will make one pretty sloppy. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting to note that, according to Dr. Rach, ale and mead back in the day, centuries ago, contained only 2 to 5% alcohol. It was mostly a solvent. And it was the other herb or fungal additions that gave ale and mead their elevating qualities. And then we have Zoroastrian Haoma of Persia and the early Hindu Soma, which is a divine plant that was pressed into a sacred drink. And it was prepared in a sacred ritual and then ingested. And that was said to confer poetic inspiration as well as wisdom, courage, health, and intimate knowledge of the god of Soma. Well, that sounds to me like a little bit more than just a good glass of wine. We also have the oracles of Delphi in Greece, who inhaled the ethylene gases that emitted through a crevasse in the floor of the temple, and that sent them into high trance states, where they could speak on behalf of the gods. And they were also said to imbibe specific entheogenic unguents that would create the same effect, enabling them to access knowledge from the hidden realms and give prophecy. Now, interestingly, they prophesied poetically. And the Greek historian Herodotus wrote in the 5th century BC of the Pythia, as they were called, uh, speaking in dactylic hexameter, which is a form of meter or rhythmic scheme in poetry, and it was the poetic formation of the prophecy that was thought to indicate the divine origin of the knowledge because poetry was considered to be a divinely inspired language. Then we have the Mazatec shamanic tradition where it is understood that the psychoactive mushrooms used in their ceremonies speak and it's up to the shaman to give voice 
to their message in the form of a chant or a song. And so the Huichol Indians, who call themselves Wiharika, which means healers or prophets, work ritually with peyote. And it's not uncommon for those people to receive songs directly from the peyote, which are then shared with the community. And in Barbara Tedlock's book, she writes about a husband and wife who are Mazatec shamans that ingest the mushroom together, and then they work with patients who come to them for healing. Well, the wife, Irene Pineda de Figueroa, chants first to the mushroom spirits, asking them to help her determine the cause of her client's illness. And she chants poetically. And so I just give you a little sampling of, of how this shamanic woman would speak while on the on the un, under the influence of the mushroom and so she first is appealing to the mushroom spirits saying quote we are going to search and question untie and disentangle let us go searching for the path the tracks of her feet the tracks of her nails from the right side to the left side, let us look. And then Irene would speak of herself in third person, saying, Woman of medicine and cures, who walks with her appearance and her soul, she is the woman of remedy and medicine, a woman who speaks, a woman who puts everything together, doctor woman, woman of words, wise woman of problems. And so Irene would search for the psychological causes of the illness during her mushroom journey, and she would sing of medicine, sweetness, and goodwill. And according to Barbara Tedlock, she would frequently repeat the words freshness, tenderness, and happiness. And then her husband, Ramon, had a totally different approach where he expressed as a warrior, and he confronted danger. He would ally, ally himself with the forces of nature to do battle with the illness. And he, too, spoke poetically, and so here is a sampling of, of how he would speak. I am he who speaks with Father Mountain, he who speaks with danger. I sweep in mountains of fear. Mountains of nerves. I am dry lightning. I am comet lightning. I am dangerous lightning. I am big lightning. I am the lightning of rocky places. So these two worked in a very complementary way together. And I am struck by the beauty of the way they expressed themselves while under the influence of the mushroom as they tended to the needs of their clients. And I also want to share with you some words from Mar of Maria Sabina. She was the Mazatec shaman who many of us know of. She also spoke poetically while under the influence of the mushroom, and she knew herself as, quote, a wise one and assumed her destiny as a medicine woman for her people. And so I will share this chant she made as she was receiving visions Woman who waits am I, woman who divines am I, woman of justice am I, woman of law am I, woman of the Southern Cross am I, 
woman of the first star am I, for I go up in the sky. And then Barbara Tedlock described how she would go into a slightly different state and she would speak in a, an even more powerful voice and she would chant, quote, Lawyer woman am I, woman of transactions am I, Mexican woman am I, woman like a clock am I, woman like an eagle am I, woman like an opossum am I, woman like a hunting dog am I, woman like a wolf am I, I'll show my power. And so I can only imagine the extraordinary illuminated prose that has flowed from the lips of countless medicine folk from the Americas to Europe to Africa to India over centuries, if not thousands of years. So we have through time a worldwide emphasis on divine states of consciousness that when accessed through the use of a psychoactive can produce in the initiate or the adept the ability to speak in ways that touch the heart and soul of the listener. Cultures throughout the ancient world cherished poetic prose, viewing it as a gift of the gods. In Greece, if a baby's lips were anointed with honey, it was thought the child would grow to be a poet and philosopher, a speaker of truth. The Celtic bards of the British Isles were storytellers and poets who trained for 15 years and preserved the ancient legends of the Celts in their poetic recitations. And at the end of their training, which was 15 to 20 years, they were called Olam, and that means doctor of poetry. And while I'm on the topic of the Celtic bards, I will touch briefly on the symbol of the cauldron. And that has very powerful associations. Many centuries ago, it was central to Celtic life and to their mythology. The cauldron speaks to the teachings of the mystery. It's the womb of creation. It's also a container of magical powers. It symbolizes containment, fertility, germination, transmutation, transformation, abundance, death, regeneration, and hidden magic. And then the cauldron would traditionally rest on three legs, and that number is associated with divine power. And the role of the cauldron, the role of the cauldron within Celtic lore took a number of different forms. There was the cauldron of the Dagda, uh, this this uh, god of the Tuatha de Danann, and his cauldron never emptied, and it provided unlimited sustenance for everyone. And then there was the cauldron of Bran the Blessed, and that would confer rejuvenation and rebirth, and if warriors were slain, it would bring them back to life. And And then there is a cauldron that I find particularly interesting, and that is the cauldron of the Welsh goddess Ceridwen, and Ceridwen is known as the poet's muse and the cauldron's mistress. And she was found in the realm of Anwen, and that's the underworld. And her cauldron contained a mysterious brew called Awen, and that translates to flowing spirit or inspiration. 
and it represents the energy of divine poetic inspiration. Three drops from that cauldron's brew held the power to confer brilliance in the form of wisdom, knowledge, and inspiration to anyone who drank from it. And the rest of the brew would cause death if imbibed. That sounds like a very interesting brew to me. It sounds like there was a specific dose that was to be taken. And if you took more than the prescribed dose, you could find yourself in, in a lot of trouble. And so within the that particular story, the brew was intended for Carrie Dwen's unfortunate son, Morfran, who was born horribly ugly. And she created this brew, of course, to, to turn him into this, this inspired poet. So he had the golden tongue. Well, it was accidentally ingested by her assistant, her young assistant, Guyan Bach. And so three drops landed on Guyenbach's thumb and he put his thumb in his, his mouth and lo and behold, <laughs> he had knowledge of, of the, the gods and, and full poetic inspiration and carried when flew into a rage and chased after him and both of them changed form many times and Guyenbach was later eaten by Carrie Dwen and then birthed by her and he became the legendary poet Talizan. And so I just think there is a little bit more to this myth than we think. And the emphasis here is on that cauldron's magical brew, conferring this poetic brilliance to whomever ingests it. Now, the Irish tell the story of the salmon that eats the hazelnuts of wisdom. And that salmon is then caught by a druid and cooked by a young boy who could be thought of as an apprentice. And in that story... The boy cooks the salmon, which is intended for the druid, and burns his thumb on its hot scales and sticks his thumb into his mouth and instantly achieves the highest states of poetic inspiration. And there are numerous references within Irish storytelling about these magical brews and substances that confer secret knowledge and wisdom of the gods. And so people back then, we know, spoke very differently and stories were told in poetic prose. It was often encoded so that the initiated, the bard, could tell a story to the folk. And, and they would think, all right, great story. It was funny. It was sad, whatever it was saying. Uh, meanwhile, another initiate, who uh, another bard or, or druid, would listen to that same story. And they could recognize the uh, the deeper encodings, the associations, uh, there was far, far more to those stories than meets the eye. And, and that really hasn't changed uh, today. Most people stay on the surface story of the film or the television show, you know, and they don't really go much deeper into, uh, there are often uh, deep, deep layers of symbolism there. And it's not out of the question to surmise that these earlier uh, Irish mytho mythological stories of these magical substances were referencing psychoactive substances and, and, and that would be understood by those in the, in the know. I mean, we'll never know. But Peter Lamborn Wilson, 
wrote a fantastic book called Plowing the Clouds, The Search for Irish Soma. And in that book, he compares the writings of Soma in the Rig Veda with the Irish mythical stories. And there are striking similarities that speak to uh, the possibility of a cult of uh, folk among the early Celts who regularly imbibed a magical brew that had the power to deliver divine poetic inspiration. And so I am of the mindset, I'm inclined to uh, believe that that was, that was so. In fact, I'd be hard-pressed uh, not, not to. Now, the power of the word itself was sacred to the, uh, not only the Celts, but, you know, the, 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 the Greeks, uh, many early cultures who cherished poetry, but uh, it was Indeed, you know, the bards did this profound training to speak in a certain way to, to deliver uh, this incredible poetry. Well, the order of bards, ovates, and druids described the ancient bards as, quote, custodians of the sacredness of the word. And I just think that is absolutely beautiful. And so, so yeah, let's compare the regard for prose that uplifts the soul and connects the listener to divine ideals with the vile spew that emits from the media machine that captivates the masses with its vulgar display of violence and sex and fear porn as it stirs the pot of divisiveness and tricks the masses into hating each other and hating themselves. What kind of leadership, whether in politics, education, media, or entertainment, thinks that's acceptable? Look what it's done to Earth's people, not just in this country. The media is a weapon of psychological destruction, and seldom, if ever, are the masses given anything of true value that speaks to their soul and calls them to a higher purpose. And what is the inebriant that is glamorized in the modern world? But alcohol, which I heard Annie Oak, who runs the Women's Visionary Congress, once describe as, quote, an inferior drug. It certainly does not deliver one to the house of the gods of poetic inspiration, does it? No. It destroys. And so I want to share with you another poetic message that came as a result of dedicated journeys into the mushroom realms. And I think this particular poetic message is relevant at this moment. And so perhaps it will resonate with you. I call this one, Old Spirits Speak. That's exactly what they fear of, that you realize what you're made of. The construct is a sorcerer's spell, designed by those who know full well the power of their words of art. They can initiate the start of any trend that they design to keep the flock they watch in line. Change will come. When minds start opening, then the dawn of what you're hoping will ensue to shift the pace. 
This death march by the human race must be reversed. That's why we're here. Deception's mists we pledge to clear. Each of you has been assigned a role you'll play to realign the threads that weave this current hell. Your actions here will fare quite well to shift the subtle frequencies so more earth folk begin to see with inner eye to realize the tricks by those who are disguised as well-known personalities who manipulate the crowd with ease. This here is a hologram, and we deliver telegram that though the claws have dug in deep and though the masses are asleep, a vow was made far in the past that at this time we'd raise our mast and sail into the stormy sea to raise our great humanity to heights once thought impossibly ambitious for such undertaking. Yes, this has been most painstaking, though right now more of you waking. This the time we've been awaiting. See their fear, all that surveillance? See the one-world dark alliance? They are under the impression they're above divisive action, which they keep among the crowd, kept divided, lost, and proud. But they cannot control each other. They are going to have one mother of a vast rift all among the web of lies that they have strung. This dear we've been counting on. In the meantime, spread your song of what can be when hearts are strong and minds are clear to urge along the many who are so confused their precious souls have been abused. And so the magic that you carry isn't simply airy-fairy. This, dear ones, has long been crafted by the lifetimes you've enacted. Now's your moment, all of you. We will give more than a few instructions clever that you'll use to take your folk beyond this ruse. Never let your good hearts waver. In those temples lives the Savior. You, the radiant ones of light, illuminating this dark night and gathering once more to cast a spell you've trained for that has vast effects upon this sacred place that's home to many kinds of race. Wake now all. The gateway's open. Here's the moment you've been hoping will occur on planet Earth. Songs were written of this birth that springs forth from within the mind, a realization of the kind that halts the course dramatically when of a sudden people see. This thing's electric. Think how fast when switches flicked, the light is cast, and everything you didn't see is now before you quite clearly. Many changes coming near. Children of the light don't fear, but rather sing your gifts with joy, and with good wisdom you'll destroy the spell that captivates the many. What you carry conquers anything that they have up their sleeve. You simply, in your mind, conceive of what you were before you came. And when you realize you're the same, well now consider that in mind an ancient spell you will unbind. For the great wand of antiquity is buried where you cannot see. For you've been taught to look outside and not within where it resides. 
You are ready now to find the Holy Grail within your minds. The sacred places you have been hold keys there that remain unseen unless you've trained for many lives to cut through darkness with your knives. Those swords of light you hold with grace, look in the mirror at your face. Look in your eyes that dance their light. You, a warrior, here to fight a battle that is ancient old. And now the time of stories told, when beauty beings, fair and tall, will once again appear to all and help you, dear ones, at this time. Heed the power of this rhyme, for this is just the start of things. As people of the fairy rings cast their magic spells around, so once more earthly folk can found a time of peace upon this earth. A time when your good folk can birth the frequencies of living grace, whose energies will heal this place. Modern people have lost what was once an intrinsic connection to the invisible worlds, where the ancestors could be contacted, nature spirits, and ancient races of supernatural beings could be accessed if one was lucky and called upon for knowledge and guidance. Divine inspiration was sought through various means, not the least of which was the use of nature's psychoactive offerings that conferred what many of us know to be extraordinary states of illumination and grace. Many, many modern people have become sterile with the loss of connection to the mythic realms. I am not convinced that with all the supposed conveniences and technological wonders that we have really come that far. With one in six people in America on some kind of psychiatric drug, I'd say that is a pretty sad state of affairs for our modern world. As long as people give their attention and energy to media programming, whether it's the news or HBO's latest series, as long as people give over their sovereignty to political pundits who don't care a fig about any of you, and it doesn't matter which wing of the bird they are on, by the way, it's the same bird. As long as people continue to send their children to state-run schools and universities that specialize in teaching unquestioning compliance and conformity, as long as people refuse to see the black mess that's right in front of their eyes, and as long as people continue to give away their power, we will continue to spiral downward. Now, I'm not saying that the mushroom will save the world. However, if you ask a certain modern wizard named Paul Stamets, he might have some compelling words to share on that. I do know this, however. The mushroom has a voice, and the ancients knew it. And for myself, I have found that voice to be a kind of guiding light in a sea of darkness, a light of reason and wisdom and humor as well. And I think this voice has the ability to open hearts that have been closed and to open minds that have been shut down. And so I will finish this talk 
with a poetic message that I call Reminder. We are still here, daughter bright. We stand by you day and night. You think that the signal's dim. Take that busy mind and trim those crowded thoughts that shout and play and keep you in that nonstop fray. All those binding spells in there seek to keep you unaware. Do you see how thoughts in mind contract your soul and deftly bind you to a way of always being that gets in the way of seeing? This is elementary, the basics rudimentary. In the mind is where you start to cast the magic to impart the spell whose frequency is light that wakes the sleeping from their night of deep sound slumber unaware of magic they are holding there. A pot of gold in rainbow's care is ready now for all to share. Though some see only rainbow's hue, they see surface but not through. Think of it as a kind of veil appearing after storm or gale. It calls out in a different way. It breaks the spell with its display. You see it and you're stirred somehow. Its beauty has caused horse and plow to simply pause and still the mind. And for a moment, it unwinds to receive nature's beauty call, a message sent to one and all. Activate us in your heart. Feel the magic we impart. Simply pause a moment there to see nature everywhere. Even when in crowded city, you can find an itty-bitty piece of nature that will charm like a gentle clock's alarm to rouse you from unconscious thoughts that when unchecked become a clot. That is when you just cannot connect to teachers who have taught in your waking and your dreams, though at times to you it seems that you just walk this path alone and our connections turn to stone. Yet we beckon, Come outside, and nature's frequencies you'll ride. We call you in many ways, trying hard to shift that daze you are in from those diversions. Each one is a deep immersion. Yes, it can be hard to hear the unseen ones who stand so near. Use these teachings on the mind, so you'll see and not be blind. Look for nature's avenue. It's the road we call you to. We put forth our own excursions, calling you from those diversions to a place that's truly real, offering clarity you can feel, a place where you can gather thoughts, the one that deftly untie knots. This, the place of inspiration that you'll feel within your nation. Sages old have found us here, seeking ways that they can clear their minds and then the minds of others, they'd share wisdom with their brothers. See your fine mind like a garden. Tend the soil. Don't let it harden. As well, don't let those thoughts like weeds take root and choke out the good seeds. We provide enlivening power to what you plant and tend each hour. There is more we will teach you for today. Just learn these few Suggestions we want you to master, steering you from that disaster of a play that's run its course, seducing all away from source. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, 
where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Ah, being in nature. I have to admit that, well, I'm not as good as I should be about spending my time outside, enjoying the charms of what we call nature. My tendency in life is to read about things more than do things, I guess, but as I've mentioned before, I've read many of the writings of the leader of the early transcendentalist movement, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Interestingly, his very first published essay was titled, Nature. And in Emerson's view, and I quote, Nature is a language, and every new fact one learns is a new word. But it is not a language taken to pieces and dead in the dictionary, but a language put together into a most significant and universal sense. I wish to learn this new language, not that I may know a new grammar, but that I may read the great book that is written in that tongue. And, the whole of nature is a metaphor for the human mind. And, there seems to be a necessity in spirit to manifest itself in material forms. Visible nature must have a spiritual and moral side. We think of nature as an appendix to the soul. And he ended this essay on nature by saying, Build, therefore, your own world. As fast as you conform your life to the pure idea in your mind, that will unfold its great proportions. A correspondent revolution in things will attend this influx of spirit. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.